turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. As I mentioned, we'll be uh, just uh, half of it tonight. Not half of it verse-wise, but uh, half of it study-wise. The, the last verses 7 through 18 will we'll conclude on a future Wednesday. It won't be next Wednesday. Next Wednesday we have a night of worship. So um, it'll probably be the first Wednesday in November where we'll finish Colossians and uh, don't know if we'll go back into some of Proverbs, probably we'll do some Proverbs, but I'm not positive on that because we are in the Old Testament on Sundays with, um, with our Nehemiah study, so still praying about what we'll be doing, but uh, tonight and then probably the first uh, Wednesday in November we'll finish Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, if you have your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, we can put one in your hand. I know I'll, be, I'll just be reading. We actually covered verse 1 a couple of weeks ago, so I'll just be reading verses 2 through 6, uh, Colossians 4. Starting with verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which... I am also in chains, that I may make manifest, as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for this midweek uh, stop from all the things that uh, we're working on or things that... Uh, are happening in our life, and we can take this time just to open your word and be refreshed by your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that we can sit at your feet. We thank you for the time of worship and song we've already had, and we pray now, Jesus, that your spirit would just lead us into your presence, uh, that you would just wash over us with your word, strengthen our walk with you, purify us, just get us ready, uh, Lord, for your return. Get us ready for tomorrow, ready for the next week, the next month. We don't know what's, what the future holds, but you do. We pray right now, Lord, I also want to lift up those that are in the path of this hurricane. We pray that you would spare lives and property, and especially those, Lord, that are poor and without insurance, and, and Lord, that will be devastated. We pray that uh, you would just uh, be merciful and, and spare them. We pray that you would use things like this to open up the eyes of those that don't know you, that they would understand the brevity of life and the fact that, Lord, someday all of this will be gone. And, Lord, that uh, you would just draw people to yourself. Use the body of Christ. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world tonight. Lord, lift them up, build them up in some of the most difficult places. Thank you again for this time. Lord, be here with us. And we're ev everywhere, Lord, where the word is being taught and spoken tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Titus, uh, one of the verses I like to refer to back uh, when it ref uh, as, it, as it relates to grace in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. Now it goes on beyond that. But when I think about the grace of God, and when you think about the grace of God, we know we were saved by grace, right? But that's not where grace ends in our life, is it? No, grace has a continuous work. It's like when you were first born... First time I was a kid and I ever saw this. I never really understood as a kid when you'd watch like a TV show and they'd slap a newborn baby. I never got that. As a kid, you know, later on you kind of understand, oh, they're, 
they're making sure that the heart starts beating and everything. But as a kid, you're like, this seems really cruel. Why would they slap a baby like that? But uh, we start out with oxygen, and we're going to stay with it the whole rest, whole rest of our life, right? Well, that's the way it is with grace. You, you come into the new birth experience through grace, but it's not like, well, I had grace then. But then you have to have grace the remainder of your Christian walk. You need the oxygen of grace as much for salvation as you do for sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the working out of our faith, right? It's where God is taking us from newborn babes to saints that are finally prepared or ready to go home. And, you know, whatever that date is is different for each person. But we all need the oxygen of grace for salvation. And Paul makes that clear in Titus that salvation is important. But that same grace trains us. And this is what Paul's doing here in the fourth chapter, and he's been doing, obviously, in all of his epistles, he's writing as a way to build up, to train, to equip, to spur, to challenge, all of these things. And so he's, in some of your, some of your Bibles, you might even have this headed as Christian graces. It might be headed that way. And he starts with uh, this first point that I want to look at together, and it relates to prayer. Continue earnestly in prayer, all the, all the things that Paul addresses here, and we'll look at four of them tonight, all the things that Paul addresses um, and encourages requires grace, but it also, as we are obedient and we say, yes, Lord, I'll do these things, I'll walk in these things, it expands grace in our life. Does that make sense as well? That it's not that, it's not that we create any more grace, Grace is like God. It's all throughout. It permeates everything in his being. It permeates when you come to the presence of God, there's 100% grace there. However, it opens us up more to more grace. Does that make sense? In other words, uh, the door for our, if we get saved, maybe it's cracked. And the more we grow, the more the door opens, more grace. It's like sunlight. More is coming in. The, the sun is giving off the same amount of sun. The, the amount of grace that God has is... Well, it's limitless, but again, how much we receive is how much we're yielded. Salvation by grace, growing also by grace. So uh, as we look at these things tonight and we apply them in our life, it expands the work of grace in our life. You know, those that, those that run or, or, or work out, you know that you can build the capacity to take in more oxygen, right? You can, you know, if you see these guys do the Tour de France, the more that they ride the bike, uh, the more they can actually go up a hill like it's not a big deal because they're pumping more oxygen. But they, it's the same oxygen. It's that they've become more able to receive it or breathe it in more. So that's what we want to do here tonight is we want to breathe these things in. And the first thing he talks about uh, is prayer, earnest in prayer. Jesus prayed constantly, didn't he? fervently, even though, and I, this is what I find interesting about Jesus, but there's many things, but I mean, as it relates to prayer, Jesus, he had the power to answer his own prayers, and yet he prayed constantly, fervently. He prayed in relationship with his Father, and then in accordance with the will of the Father, even though he could have answered his own prayers. He, he came 
to model that relationship and submission to the will of God. He taught the disciples to pray, commanded them and the church to pray, and said some things. He said some things in our life won't happen outside of prayer. Even fasting may be required. He said some things, you're not going to break certain chains outside of prayer. Because you can, you can just try and wish it away, but that won't work. You're going to have to come in to the throne room in the grace of God. And he reminded the disciples in the church that his house, which is the body of Christ, it's not these buildings, it's not these sheetrock walls, but his house, we know, is the spirit of the bride of Christ, the spirit of Christ, one body, but his house, the bride, would be a house of prayer. And this foundational teaching, Paul's saying, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. This foundational teaching and command that Paul is speaking of and Christ gave, it was not lost upon, when, when Jesus gave the commands to pray, it was not lost upon the disciples or the early church. The passage we read a few Sundays ago before I went uh, out of town, Acts 2.42. Let's take a look at it. And I kind of broke it down a little bit here. It's not a verse you don't know or haven't heard, but take a look at it. And they continued, but I put in all caps, steadfastly, steadfastly. There's a big difference between continuing something haphazardly every once in a while. Eh, it's not that important to me steadfastly, steadfastly. I believe people should shower steadfastly. I believe people should use deodorant steadfastly. I believe there's certain things in life that are a great benefit to us to continue to do, not once a month, not once a year, but a continuous cycle of our life. Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What was the doctrine? It wasn't their doctrine. It was what had been given to them. It was the very teachings of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the word. And of course, the rest of the Old Testament was already there. So the doctrine was including all the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, and the teachings of Jesus. And fellowship, that's gathering, relationships. There has to be fellowship. You can't say, well, you know, I, I, I am a Christian, but I don't really need the church. It's not biblical. The early church, they had to gather. They had to come together. Breaking of bread. This is actually what we'll be doing Sunday. It's the Lord's Supper or communion. This is what, when you see that term, it is the fact that Jesus said, do this until I return. We take the Lord's Supper. We remember his death and resurrection. And in prayers, this was a big part. I'll sometimes people you know, say, well, I don't really, I don't know why corporate prayer is important. Didn't Jesus say, go into your closet and pray alone? Yep. You've got to do that too. But he also talked about gathering. And we see the early church, they gathered together to pray. Of course they had personal prayer lives. It's impossible to have a walk with Christ uh, just built on gathering with the body, but you, you do both. You do both. Uh, I sometimes eat a meal by myself, and I eat a lot of meals with my family. Both in life uh, are part of our life. So these are the things that uh, the early church understood, and prayers was a key component. If you look at those four things, you could think of like you know, four legs on a chair. They're all important. What was an act um, of obedience? What was normative? 
and what was transformational and power producing in the early church was then instilled by Paul and others into Colossae here, in the city we're looking at, into Colossae and other cities. And Paul, Paul knew that prayer was imperative to the other apostles, to the other disciples, and he had seen its transformative power in his own life and in their life and in the early church. And so Paul brings this to Colossians and says, look, uh, you can't just have a prayer life. You've got to invest in it steadfastly. He used earnestly. They uh, were to continue this command uh, that Christ had given and was already led by an example of the early believers. And so the emphasis here in Colossians already, uh, they already knew and understood. It, it, it appears, as Paul says, continue. Uh, they understood the importance of praying. They were a praying people. And they had invested in prayer, but they needed to continue in it. Stay focused. And I mentioned I read three books. A lot of the things that I read in these three books when I got away, my previous record on vacation was zero. But finishing. I had, I had many times gone away and read books, but I'd only get to hear. Or hit. This, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to do something. I'm finishing a book. I don't care. I don't care what happens. I don't care if you have to leave me in another state. I'm finishing one of these books. So I finished three. I said, no, I just have to. But, you know, when you, when you read things, you often read things, a lot of what you read were things you knew, but you're being reminded of. A lot of it was. What, there were new things. I always, I don't know about you, but I always get new things too. But usually when I read anything of any value, the Bible, things that have been written by saints of old, things that are written by, you know, uh, pastors that love the Lord today, usually I get some new things that I did not think of, but I usually get about 60% of things that I did know that I had forgotten or wasn't applying in the same amount. And so this is, uh, they understood the value of prayer, but Paul is saying, it's almost like Paul Gravin's like, hey, I'm about to wrap up this chapter. Not only keep praying, but pray more. Pray more. It's one thing to know what to do, to know what's important. It's quite another thing to actually do it, right? To know what to do, but actually do it. Some of your Bible translations may be, if you look at your Bibles, I don't know which versions you're using, but some of your Bible translations might use these wordings, devote yourselves. Some of yours might say that. Devote yourselves. The Greek meaning of what Paul says at the beginning here, whether it says devote yourselves or continue earnestly, the Greek meaning is courageously persistent. How about that for a statement? Paul's saying, I want you to be courageously persistent in prayer. Courageously persistent. That means you can pray really big prayers. Ones that you think there's no way this could be answered. Courageous prayers. Why not? Does God have any limitations? I mean, I, we, we, were, we were on the beach in South Carolina, and, and because there wasn't much light there, it's like laying at the bottom of a planetarium. The stars, you can see everything. I saw shooting stars that I never see here. And I'm looking up, and if God can just speak all that into existence, it's not really hard for him to answer any prayer. Courageously 
persistent. Jesus said, you know, remember he told the parable about the woman who kept, kept bugging and bugging and bugging and bugging the king, right? Persistent, courageous. Is that a good description of your prayer life and my prayer life? Courageously persistent. If you were to describe your prayer life to someone, you'd say, you know, it's courageously persistent. But that's what Paul is telling the Colossians. I want all of you to have that as a testament to how you pray. Paul adds these words to be vigilant, being vigilant in it, which means what? Alert and awake. Alert and awake. Now, we've all probably fallen asleep praying, haven't we? That's okay. You were alert when you started praying, hopefully. I'd rather fall asleep praying than fall asleep watching TV. Rather fall asleep praying than doing lots of dumb things that just aren't all that important. So it's okay. Matter of fact, uh, one of the messages I've listened to a couple times from Dr. Charles Stanley talks about for pastors. He says, get in a place where you just pray. And he goes, if you fall asleep, you'll learn more when you sleep than when you're awake because you fell asleep talking to God. And then when you wake up, you'll actually do a better job with getting your Bible back open. And uh, he's right. So now I sleep all the time. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> to be vigilant, to remain alert and awake. Um, what it really means is don't let your prayer life fall asleep. Don't let your prayer life fall asleep. Individually or as a church body. I'm, I'm going to give an account someday to the Lord where God will say, did you let the prayer life of the body fall asleep. Well, we decided that prayer isn't attended by enough people, so let's just get rid of it. And God said, did I get rid of Acts chapter 2, verse 42? Did I get rid of Colossians 4, 2? We can stop gathering as a church to pray when God removes it from the Bible, and that's not going to happen, so we're not going to stop praying. Neither are going to stop. Is your prayer life vibrant? Is it awake by the Spirit? Is it being awakened? If not, this passage serves, serves as an alarm clock for us. Paul's given an alarm clock to wake up and get prayed up so we're built up. Right? Lastly, Paul says to do it with thanksgiving. Being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. We saw Jesus do this throughout his ministry. He would, he would thank the Father. Even the Lord's suffrage will take Sunday... It still amazes me. He's thanking God for the body, knowing that this is the cross for him. Are you able to say thanks when you're in trials? I've learned to just do it, even though it doesn't register correctly to me, but I know it's spiritually. Rejoice in all things. All things. Give thanks in all things. All things means what? All things. All means all. God doesn't exaggerate like us. He says all things, you can say, all right, I have no idea how this is going to work. But the scripture says all things work together for good to those that are called according to his purpose. Right? All things. So just start saying thanks. Lord, I, I thank you that our washing machine broke down again. I thank you that this didn't go right. I thank you that somebody said something about me. And I now get to put on Christ. But you have to talk to God first. That's prayer. You have to talk to him. You have to talk this out. You have to courageously, persistent, vigilant, alert, and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And I don't even understand why I'm saying thank you. 
but he'll bless it. Paul said, don't worry about it. Notice that Paul doesn't say try and understand how this works. He just says do it. Uh, I'll be giving a message Sunday, as I mentioned, um, uh, from Joshua chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 3. Those two passages called, what if I dot, dot, dot. Hearing and responding to the will of God. And the, the, the longer I follow the Lord, the more I'm realizing I don't have to understand what God is doing. I just have to trust what God is doing. You have to understand what he's doing. I don't have to understand. I've had Verizon out four times this year to fix our Wi-Fi. Four times. I still don't understand what they're doing. I can understand what's not working, but I still don't understand what they're doing. But part of me doesn't care because that's their job, not mine. And same it is with God. He says, look, you just, can't, you just come to me in prayer. You be vigilant. You be consistent. Do it with thanksgiving. I'll take care of the rest. Jesus always gave thanks to the Father. And the more we give thanks, the more we'll give thanks. It builds off itself. The more you start to give thanks, the more thankful you'll become. And the more thankful you become, the more you'll give thanks. And it, it is a good cycle. As opposed to a vicious cycle, this is a gracious cycle. The more we give thanks simply from obedience, the more it will become deeply genuine in our hearts. It starts out with just obedience. And then it starts to become real. More depth. Um, I, my, my wife, and you know, I've seen uh, her relationship with her parents. I know that when she, I, well, we've been dating since she was 16. She's, well, I'm not allowed to say how old she is now, but uh, it's later in the 40s now. And so, I, you know, I, you know when, when she was 16, I knew her. Um, I know she loved her parents, but it wasn't the same depth. You could say it at 16, but you didn't mean it the way she means it now. Right? And the more we say thanks to God, the more it's not just words. It actually starts to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And when we say thanks to God, we really mean it. And we can't even express how we mean it. It's just, it's at the spirit level. It's at, it's at the inner man level. It's at the soul level. And God just does it. You really do. You really will find yourself saying thankful, th thanks for things that you can't, like, well, I wouldn't even have said thanks for that 10 years ago, Right? Because God changes the way we see things from the inside out. It becomes more genuine. The more it becomes genuine gratitude. And the more we'll know Christ and the power of prayer. God wants us to have a pursuit of prayer. A praise in prayer. But remember, there's always a purpose in prayer. Let's take a look at uh, the next point on Paul's kind of continuation of these Christian graces, um, which I've titled Emboldened to Speak. He moves on. He's like, uh, it's important that we all continue earnestly in prayer. But in verse 3, he says, meanwhile, praying also for us. He's asking for prayer that God would open to us a door for which to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in chains. Of course, we, if you were at the beginning of our study, Paul is imprisoned. Doesn't. I don't think that was his plan, but he accepts that God allowed him to be in prison. And while in prison, his prayer life continues to grow. He's writing epistles to churches. 
But Paul understands that prayer always has a purpose. The primary purpose is our walk and relationship with God. That's the primary purpose, not the only purpose, but the primary purpose is our walk and our relationship with the Heavenly Father. That's why we see Jesus saying, our Father. He starts it with our Father. Relationship comes first. But God places care on our hearts or in circumstances that require us to make intercession, to ask for help, to plead for wisdom. Amen? So relationship is one thing, but there's times where we're not just sitting at the feet of Jesus. We actually have needs, and he allows circumstances to come. But he also allows us to see those needs in the lives of others. And Paul's request, he says, join us. Join us in asking God to open doors, to give us boldness, to give us words to speak to a lost and dying world. You know, Paul's the Apostle Paul. This isn't like some low-level pastor that just kind of barely... This is Paul, and Paul knows he needs God's help. And you know we do too, amen? He knows he needs God's help. He even knows he needs the prayers of God's people. It's not an original thought of mine, but it's empirically true that unless we've spoken directly with God and been strengthened by him, we'll have no ability to speak effectively to people. Unless we've spoken directly to God and been given strength by him, we'll have no real ability to speak and connect with people because God is the conduit for how we can connect to the hearts and minds of men. You'll never win people over by your intellect, by your good looks, by your life experience. Those things will be helpful if God unlocks the door to their heart. They are helpful, but they're helpful as kind of, they come along for the ride, but they're not what opens the door. What opens the door is the Spirit of God. So if we're not speaking to God, then we're going to have a hard time connecting and really ministering and speaking to people. Here's another spiritual reminder that's part of the fabric of Paul's life and walk. He's asking for them to pray for him. Pray for me. Pray for us. That we would have this open door. Even in prison, that even in prison, we'd be able to speak to guards, Roman authorities. Send them back to their homes at night when they're making dinner. Hey, this, we met this guy in prison. His name is Paul, and this is what he told us. Open doors. Whatever it is, no matter where you're at, you could be in a prison cell and God could open doors. Literally and metaphorically. But we see something else in the fabric of Paul's life here. We're blessed, you and I are blessed, to pray for and to undergird others. To pray for and to undergird others. While we hope that they're praying for and undergirding us. They may or may not be. I am extremely appreciative of everyone who prays for me. I don't know who all prays for me. I know, some pe- I know for a fact some people pray for me. If no one else does, I know my wife does. So I'm thankful that she does. But I know that there's more than my wife. I know some of the people in this church that I know pray for me because they tell me. They write me notes. They send me texts. They send me emails. Unless they're lying, and I don't think they are, then they really are praying for me. And when I stay back to them, I'm praying for them. I do pray for them and am praying for them. 
And sometimes God, you ever, ever have God just put someone at random on your heart? You don't even know, where did that name come from? And you just start, you just pray for them. And sometimes, because we have the means today, we'll let them know. We'll send them a note. Say, hey, God put my, you on my heart. Just want to let you pray for them. And he's like, wow, did you not know? Did I, you know, what is this perfect timing? No, I didn't know anything. But God knows. We're blessed to undergird others in prayer and for them to pray for us. And we'll look at the mutual dependence of the body uh, with the final greeting starting in verse 7. We get, uh, again, we'll cover this last passage the first Wednesday in November. We wrap it up, but uh, we'll look at the mutual dependence that Paul really highlights in these closing greetings starting in verse 7 from a practical standpoint. But Paul knew he was called. He knew what he's asking for is a, a purpose prayer. Pray that the Lord would open doors, that we'd speak the mysteries of Christ. Paul knew he was called to present Christ. We have a team that uh, is going into Bonaire Sunday night. They need our prayers. They need our prayers now. Their prayers at 7 o'clock that night. We stop again at 7.30. We're in the middle. You never know. Another chain might be broken. Another door might be open. Another heart might be softened. But Paul knew he was called to present the gospel everywhere he went, whether he was in prison or out of the prison. And I would think you'd agree Paul was very faithful in doing this. Do you think Paul was faithful in sharing the gospel? I didn't say perfect, but in the, in the annals of church history, he's way up there and most faithful preaching the gospel of all time. And yet he's asking for prayer. And yet he's saying protection, open doors. If Paul needed prayer, we all need prayer. If Paul needed bolt boldness, we all need some boldness. He know that the prayers of God's people propel us forward. You need people praying for you. Say, well, I don't really know that many people. Are you married? Start saying, spouse, pray for me. I'll pray for you. That alone will help. Well, I don't know anyone else. I'm not married. I'm single. Come to, a, come to church. Get prayed right after a service. Get, come to a prayer meeting. Get prayer there. Get relationships. Hey, can you pray for me? Monday, I've got this, or whatever else it might be. Get in the habit also of praying together for the Spirit to open doors, for God uh, to place His Word in, in people's minds, for God to help us to open our mouths, and equally keep them shut at times when they need to stay shut, right? That's important as well for the presentation of the gospel. One of the things that struck me um, when I first got saved, I had never really, uh, if you grew up going to church, but it was more just religion as opposed to relationship. Um, one of the things that struck me that was really, uh, a, a number of things struck me when the first time I walked into a Calvary Chapel. One, when I saw people worshiping music-wise, and this was before, I mean, Calvary Chapel was kind of like really at the leading edge of this. I mean, people looked like they really were worshiping. I saw hands up, eyes closed, no one telling them to do this, and, and, uh, and just people with you know, all walks of life, cut off jeans, shorts, suits, flip-flops, dressed up, dressed down, in between, long hair, it, everything like that. And yet, they seem to have the same spiritual DNA of worship. It, it, I could just tell it was genuine because I, I had seen religiosity. I was like, these people really, they like these words, these songs. I can tell. I can tell. I, people, like, tear coming down someone. So they, I can tell they really are connecting with God. And I was unsaved, and I was not connecting. So that, that really looked odd to me in a good way. I was drawn to that. 
The other things, when we first got saved, when at the end of services, people would actually, someone had needed prayer, they would actually kind of get in a little mini huddle and pray. And I had never seen that either. I'm like, they do that? People actually stop and pray? And we need to get back to more of that, right? We need to get back more of just, just praying over things. God will honor it. God will bless it. God will use it. We are all called to be ambassadors for Christ. We're all called to be priests that reflect the presence of God in this world. We're all called, Acts chapter 1-8, to be his witnesses. Paul knew he was called, but so is everyone else. Not necessarily called to the exact same formal calling, but the same calling to be witnesses, to be a light. You know in my testimony that you know, part of the reason I got to say, the girl cut my hair. She wasn't an apostle. She wasn't an apostle. She wasn't a pastor. She wasn't an evangelist. She was a hairstylist. But I was there because it was probably like a $6 haircut or something like that. But she was a witness for Christ. D.L. Moody says, one of the evidences that we are children of God is we have a desire for others and our hearts will go out after others. One of the evidences that we're saved is we actually care that other people get saved. If we don't care, that's a concern. Doesn't mean that we won't have nerves. Doesn't mean that we won't, you know, blow it. Doesn't mean, but we will say, Lord, I blew it. Help me not to. Help me to see those open doors and to pray and ask others to pray that I would actually be faithful. Moving on because of our time. Eternity in mind. He says that I may make manifest as I ought to speak, verse 4, walk in wisdom with those Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. By the way, this is just a bonus little option. As I was finishing the book of Revelation, speaking of time, you ever hear um, a lot of songs will say, when time is no more? And I found fascinating in, at the end of Revelation. I have, I mean, I've read the book numerous times, but this has nothing to do with the teaching, but just the word time. Just, this is bonus material that is just cutting room floor. Don't really know exactly where I'll go with this in the future, but as I was reading Revelation, you know, it tells that the, um, that the trees, that their fruits change each month. And I was, it, it was like a light bulb. I'd read many times, like, at some level, there's time in heaven because it talks about the trees changing their fruit each month, 12 months, it even says. So I don't know how all that works because it's outside of this space-time continuum and yet there is some mention of an organized time frame even in heaven. So exactly what all that means, I have no idea. And I bet somebody's written something on it, but uh, it, just, it just struck me. And we, but we're, we're in time now. We only have so many years we don't know how many days, minutes we have, but Paul says redeem the time. The scriptures make it clear that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're definitely here. We're definitely under the same clock as the unsaved world. We definitely have the same. It's Wednesday for all of us on planet Earth. No one's on Thursday yet. Well, unless you're, uh, you know, other side of the world, then yes, you are. But I mean, you know what I mean. I mean, we all, we all wake up, it, whatever city you live in, it's the same day, if we all live in New York or Tokyo, it's, we're all under the same time. 
But Jesus said in his prayer in John 17 that the disciples were no more of the world than he was. Isn't that interesting? He said, Lord, they're not of this world. They were still alive. And Jesus said, they're not of this world, just as I'm not of this world. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, now we know he came down out of heaven, the incarnation. We know Jesus came down into heaven. He stepped into time. He stepped into space and into this fallen world. So it's, for, it's easy for us to understand that he's not of this world. We all understand Jesus is not of this world, right? That's easy for us. We know he stepped into the very creation that he created, even with his physical birth. It was miraculous. He stepped into time. We understand that. But the disciples are us. He says they were not of this world. They were still flawed. Peter hadn't even yet denied him at that point. And Jesus said, they're not of this world. They and, and we, we're from here. We have a mom and a dad. We were born here. We did not come to, none of us in this room came down out of heaven. But we're, we were born in sin. But the blood of Christ and the work of the Spirit has placed our citizenship in heaven. It's placed our citizenship in heaven even though we're still in this temporal, sin-bound, and time-bound place until we enter into immortality. Even though it's outside of time, and yes, there's some kind of time there, and how all that works, we'll figure it out. But right now, we're here, even though our citizenship is in heaven. Our place is reserved. We have a pre-purchased ticket in hand, fully paid. Everything It's in hand, but we have not redeemed it yet. But we can't redeem it yet because while we're still here, we have work to do. That's what Paul's saying. Paul said, he, he said for him it would be better for him to move on to heaven, didn't he? But he says, better for y'all that I hang around for a while. That's what he said. Not in this passage, but he said that. We have work to do. The beautiful truth and blessing of our adoption in our future home comes with a responsibility now. Do you understand that? We have this beautiful place waiting, but we have a responsibility right now. We have to walk as lights and witnesses in our conduct, in our speech, in our attitude. He said towards those who are outside. Who is he speaking of? The unsaved world. They're outside of the redeeming grace. They're not outside of God's willingness, but they're still outside Jesus is the door, right? They haven't come through the door yet. Are we reflecting the purity of heaven? Or are we uh, reflecting the pride of earth, the covetousness of this world? By the way, the world's watching us. You know that, right? The world is watching us. The world's watching. They're watching you at work. Your neighbors are watching you. They observe more than you think they do. They observe a lot more than we think they do. What about our priorities? Are they aligned to the kingdom work of Jesus, that what he gave to the church? While we await our homecoming, are our priorities aligned to him? Or are they aligned to the same priorities and the same distractions and the same idols of the world? I don't want to, you know, little by little, I, you know, God, I, I, I have this process in my life that God has been doing for quite a while. I, at first, I didn't like it. Now, I really like it. Just show me lots of little things, little things. Little things. Because 24 hours are made up of lots of little seconds. Little things that God says, look, if, 
if you would be faithful in this little thing, I'll explode it in a bunch. Little things. Are we redeeming the time? Are we making our days count for eternity? Our days, but also those that aren't ready for eternity. Are we redeeming our time in that respect? Or are we sleepwalking through time? Have we been lulled to sleep by the world's list of what's important? The world said, hey, this is important. You, you should live your life around this list. Take a, take a minute to understand sometimes the world's list of priorities. It's really things that will truly all fade away. What if the time we have left is much shorter than we think? What if it's shorter than we think? There's 20, 20 people died in a limousine accident earlier in the week. I, have, I, I, I doubt any of them thought when they went out that night, you know what? This is the end. No, they thought it was the beginning. It was going to be a great, uh, it was going to be a great night of celebrating a wedding, and, and, and it's tragic. What if our time is shorter than we actually think? Will we use it or will we waste it? That's what Paul, Paul did not. He, he understood. He didn't have the arrogance of, oh, I got all the time in the world. He really understood that. You know, I don't, I'm not sure what I have time-wise, but I know what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to use it well, courageously persistent in prayer, but also in living. Last point as we come to a close this evening, looking at uh, this last passage here. Verse 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each one. How would people assess your speech, my speech? How'd you like somebody... Uh, if someone was given a sample, we're, we're, we're at the 10th day of the 10th month, 2018, 10-10-2018 today. What if someone was given a sample recording of all your words this month? And Jesus selects the sample to make sure it's a balanced sample, to make sure it's really representative. You know, it's a representative sample of, say, I've done an inventory of all your speech this month, 10 days worth, just 10 days. Some of it was in the evening, some of it was in the morning, some of it was before you had coffee, and that's a big excuse that you have, and blah, 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 and all of this stuff. And here's a sample of all of your speech, my speech. Especially those words spoken to other people. Or when other people weren't around, but their name came up. Hmm, how about that one? They didn't know you said that about them. In a variety of situations and settings. What might they hear in your voice, in your motives, in your intent, in your attitude, in your patience or impatience? I don't think most of us, I don't care who you are, most of us don't want all the sample provided to everybody else of all of our speech. But he says here, let your speech always be with grace. And Paul knows that everyone's blown it with their speech. He's not saying that. He's saying, let it come back to grace. Sometimes you've got to fill the salt shaker back up, right? It's run out of salt. <laughs> you've got to, in our house, when we run out of salt, I'm not li- I don't like bland food. Some of you that you know, have a no-salt diet, no, no, not in our house. It, 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 Where's the sea salt, the Himalaya salt, whatever it is? Get, I, you know, need the real stuff. But sometimes it runs out. You've got to head to Costco for that. 
That's where they have it, by the way. Anyway, um, sometimes the salt shaker needs to be refilled. Paul knows that, hey, we've all blown it. That's why he's writing them. There's no doubt that some of your speech has fallen off into a little bit of gossip, into a little bit of slander, into impatience, into anger, into complaining, into whining, into self-pity, whatever it is, into accusatory, all these things, judgmental, you know, all of the, Paul says, bring it back to grace. When you understand grace, what might you see in your speech or my speech? If we've truly received the grace of God, it should flow through our speech. If we've truly received the grace of God, if God has implanted grace in us, and if you're safe, he has implanted grace in you. That's supernatural. You could not put the grace of God in yourself. You can only receive, right? You can receive the grace, but you cannot take it. You can receive it. You can't manufacture it. You can't bring it down out of heaven, but you can receive it with an open hand and an open heart. But if the grace of God has come in, then it should flow back out in our words. If God speaks to us with grace, what does that sound like? If God, go back to our prayer life, if God speaks to you and I through grace, what does that sound like in our minds and in our spirit? Gentle, kind, forgiving, merciful, loving, corrective, not judgment. If you're saved, you're not under judgment, but you will be corrective, right? I was talking to someone not long ago. I was like, you know, that, look, uh, a lot of times it's, it's not problem that we're running into. It is solutions that we bring from God. And if we get the wisdom from God, it'll come out in our words as a lot more receptive to people and navigating things and what we say and how we say it. When we're speaking to others, <clears throat> we also need to start from a standpoint of gentleness and kindness. Let your speech uh, be with, seasoned with grace and with salt. Start with gentleness and kindness. You'll never go wrong speaking gently to people. Ever. But you can absolutely go wrong speaking the opposite of gentle, speaking in anger or in bravado or in uh, just frustration, that can go wrong, but not speaking gentle with people. I've learned this, by the way. Um, have you ever had to call a customer service 1-800 number because you have something that needs resolved? I've learned the older I get, I get all kinds of awesome things done because I compliment them. I tell them, I know you probably had a million bad calls today. Here's what I'm dealing with. And I'll have people just roll the red carpet out. They'll get me their boss's boss, just little by And instead of, and I know that they get cussed out, they get yelled at, they get people tell them that, and that's not the, per if I was them, that is not the person I would do anything for. And, th and they're more likely to say, sorry, click. But that's the way it is in all. We should be not to get something, but to present Christ. You see the difference? It's not that we're trying to get anything. We, Paul says this is what you're supposed to do to present grace. You got saved by grace. You didn't get saved because God says, you know what? 
You have so many good deeds, I have to let you in. You are such a great specimen of humanity. Uh, of I've looked at your life, and there's not a single bad thought you've ever had. You've, everything you've done is gold. Everything you do is just so remarkably heaven-like that I have to let you in. No. It says, even while we were dead in our trespasses, Christ died for us. That's what the scriptures say. We were dead as a doornail, and God says, I'm going to be merciful to you anyway. So that's, it's not that we're trying to use our speech to get something. It's to use our speech to get them to Jesus, to get them to Christ. And now we'll be blessed in the process. Now, when, I had, when I learned before I was saved, if things went wrong, I was the one cussing someone out on the phone. I paid good money for you know, right? That's the way I would, the way I deal with it. Now, you don't really get much benefit. Your blood pressure goes skyrocketing. You're angry. You're bitter. You're creating an ulcer for yourself. There's really no benefit whatsoever other than you get to get something off your chest, and then you feel better about it, supposedly. But you really don't because you're running into the same thing, the next problem, and the same thing, the next problem, the same thing, the next problem. Paul says, look, change your thinking or let God change your thinking. Season with grace. Season with salt. Start with... Gentleness, start with kindness. It's a reflection of the grace that we've received and the grace that will heal people. People, no matter how messed up they might be, no matter how mean they are or cruel they are or whatever, they need healing too. They need to be transformed. And the voice that Jesus called us with, we're supposed to reach out uh, to them as well. In addition to the grace of God, which is kind, which is gentle, which is, which is merciful, which is sincere. By the way, people can tell when we're sincere or not. They know authentic. They know genuine. We have a reference here of salt. I mentioned again, sometimes the salt in our life needs to be refilled. But salt purifies. Salt cleans. Salt is pleasant to the taste. Salt, spiritually speaking, is the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of God that comes from the Word of God and is made alive by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God activates it. Because if an atheist uses the Word of God, yes, it will still be true, but it won't have the same Spirit anointing. Amen? You and I have the anointing of the Lord, so when we speak the Word of God, it comes by the Holy Spirit speaking through us. So it's, it's, it's a force multiplier. We'll speak... Truth and love, wisdom, truth, but it will come from a heart of love. Words that can truly encourage people. The older I get, I love encouraging people. By the way, I've, I've found that nothing else actually helps people grow but encouraging them. You'll never beat them into a great walk with Jesus. Not from the pulpit, not in your home, not as a parent, not as a co-worker. You'll never, you'll never drive people into, say, let me get my Bible and slam it on your head a few times, and then you'll get this. It will never work. You'll only encourage them. Build them up. Counsel. But you'll even rescue people in, in hopeless situations. Hopeless situations. They need rescuing. But God will give us words that really rescue as a, or as a word that repel. The grace of God and the salt of God is a powerful combination to impact hearts and minds. Wouldn't you agree? 
the grace of God, but the salt of God, like dynamite, and really reaching people's hearts and minds. Uh, Chuck Swindoll said, wisdom is the ability to see with discernment, to view life as God perceives it. Understanding is the skill to respond with insight. So God will give us the vision, but then how to respond. That's walking with wisdom, but also then God will help us to see the situation clearly because we need God's help. A lot of times situations are not as they first appear. Would you agree with that? Many times situations, the older you get, the more experience you have, the more you walk with the Lord, you, you actually don't draw conclusions as quickly. You say, Lord, show me what's really going on here. Show me what's really the issue here. <clears throat> show me what really you would have me to say. And then we seek the Lord's help to understand people and to understand situations. He says that you would know how you ought to answer because anyone can blurt out something, but we want it to be measured, given by the Lord. He says, here's what I want you to say. Here's how I want you to say it, and it will be received as it came from me. Amen? Aren't you thankful for grace? We need it, but we need to give it out too. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again this, this evening for your great grace that's changed us, that continues to change us, that continues, uh, Lord, to transform us into the image of Jesus. And Lord, help us to be courageously consistent in prayer. Help us to undergird others in prayer. Help us to walk redeeming the time and have eternity in mind. We don't know how long we have, but you do. And, Lord, that we use our minutes, our seconds wisely. And, Lord, help us to speak with both grace and the salt and truth and knowledge of God. Give us wisdom in situations, that working with people, <clears throat> ministering to people. And, Lord, help us to guard our mouths that what we say, Lord, we, when we give an account someday, even of every word that we've said, Lord, that we would know that we've counted <clears throat> each word to be important and reflective of you. Thank you for this time this evening, Lord. Help us to remember these things. Settle them in our hearts and minds that we're walking in them tomorrow and the next day. And we continue to grow in this grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.